everyone on a midsummer Sunday. How are you, Carl Middleman? I'm doing well. I'm very impressed by all the interviews you have this week. Well, very cool. I was very happy to get the interviews, and I think because I'm such a musical theater geek that that happened, and thanks to Sean Logan at Allied for arranging it. We're going to start today with Lynn's interviews with all the main people from Schmigadoon, including Cecily Strong and Dove Cameron. Then around minute 13, we will talk about Pig. Around minute 20, we will argue about Space Jam. And then our guests around minute 29, Steli Seitman will talk about the play she's producing, Tiny Beautiful Things, and her remembrances of Steve Wolf and everything that's going on in St. Louis Theater. Around one hour and 15 minutes, we'll talk about Gunpowder Milkshake. Around one hour and 18 minutes, minutes we'll talk about movies we didn't see escape room and roadrunner and then around one hour and 20 minutes where you can find us to me the big news of the summer is this hilarious and delightful musical parody on apple plus it's worth every penny to sign up it's what 4.99 a month and it's called schmigadoon and it is a parody but loving parody of golden age of musicals. We have not just Brigadoon, but Oklahoma and Music Man and King and I and South Pacific and every musical theater trope that you can think of is in this. And the cast is just perfection. Have you seen it yet? I I have not seen it yet. I, I know it's several episodes long. Have you, are they, did they release all of the episodes at once or is this a weekly thing? This is a weekly thing, except on Friday, they released two episodes and I aired on my uh, KTRS. I thought they were going to do two every Friday, like Marvel sometimes does, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, just one every Friday till August 13th. And that's the last one, the sixth episode. And it has a nice story arc. It is a modern times Keegan-Michael Key and Cicely Strong play busy New York City doctors. And they've been dating for a couple of years and the spark has gone out of their relationship. So they're going to take this hike that's supposed to restore what they see in each other and their spark. And they get lost and wind up in this mythical town called Schmigadoon population Mm -hmm. 187 and this is where the biggie biddy brigade of mothers against the future just think these two are horrible influences because they're not married oh no well because it takes place in the 40s 50s 60s and so they have they're all wearing corsets and Ariane DuBose, who's going to be Anita in the upcoming West Side Story and was in the prom, she plays the local school marm who doesn't want to have anything to do with guys. And then we have <laughs> Alan Cumming, who is the mayor of the town, but he is a closeted gay man and he wrestles with that. And he has uh, the eyes for Fred Armisen, the local preacher, who is married to the head busybody, Kristen Chenoweth. And she has a... These are all (laughs) amazing, amazing Broadway stars. 
I know. And she has this number called strife and tribulation. That's just like out of trouble in river city. And you mm-hmm. can, you can, and they all go around being superior and, and snobby. And it's so funny. And then Aaron Tveit, who is a Tony nominee for Moulin Rouge this year and the only best actor nominee. So it's likely he's going to win, but that's presumptive. Anyway, he plays the bad boy like Billy Barker in uh, Carousel. Okay. And he runs the Tunnel of Love. So this is just this delightful thing. But what's so funny is the creators of this, Cinco Paul and Ken Dario, have written these songs that are just like out of the old musicals, except they have hilarious lyrics. Well, you you talked to Cinco Paul and Cecily Strong, and Aaron Tveit, and Dove Cameron. Dove Cameron from uh, Disney's Descendants. You talked to everyone. First you talked to Cecily, then you talked to Cinco Paul, then you asked Dove a question, and then you asked Aaron a question, and we're going to play that right now. Hello. I'm from downstate Illinois, like you are, Cecily, and I was wondering if you ever went to the Muni Opera in St. Louis when you were growing up. You know, I actually, I was only born in Springfield. So I, I moved to Oak Park when I was a year and a half old. So I might've gone um, when I was before a year and a half, but I don't remember. <laughs> I, would think, I would think probably Chicago, you had a lot of opportunities to see theater. I did, yes. And I was just thinking about this because of Schmigadoon. I, we also, my mom, brought us to a Hubbard Street Dance Company a lot. And I was, cause I was remembering watching Schmigadoon, how much I love watching dance too, you know? You have a dream cast as the support, in the supporting roles. How, did you have a list to start from and you've got all these incredible Broadway stars. How did that happen? Yeah, I'll say about half of these people's pictures were up in the writer's room. You know, I, I we wrote, Mildred Layton for Kristen Chenoweth. The Countess was written for Jane Krakowski. Doc Lopez was written for Jaime. Uh, So many of these people were targeted. And it was really important to me that we get actual musical theater pros because I wanted everyone singing live on set and you needed people who could deliver eight shows a week. And they did. I mean, Cecily will tell you, they were phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, so consistent and so great. Thanks. Hi, this is for Aaron. First of all, I'm a huge fan. Congratulations on your Tony nomination and I would um, imagine award. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Since you were the only nominee, uh, what was it like to be around all these Broadway legends that you've looked up to your entire life and you're working with them in this show? Yeah, it was really, really special. Um, I've known Kristen a little bit uh, over the course of, you know, you run into people, and, um, but I've, I've never met Alan before, and I'm, you know, I've been a huge fan of Alan's, and, you know, and Jane as well, and I mean, it's just all the way down, you know, and then, and then people like Dove and Ariana and Fred, I mean, and Jaime, it's just, you know, to, when you get to really work with these people um, that you've admired for a long time, sometimes, you know, you don't, they say like, don't meet your idols because it's, uh, you, you may be disappointed, but this is just the complete opposite. You know, the people are all even even more incredible in person than you ever imagined. And then for everyone to come together at a time where we kind of realized we were the only ones getting to do a musical 
maybe anywhere. It was really, it really, you know, it's always special, but it made it even more, more so. How impressed were you when you got these songs? What I would like you to comment on at the, the music. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Cinco is so brilliant. And I think what he's so brilliant at is creating these songs again that are sort of like parody, reminiscent of, and, and like it's playing into this old MGM classic feel, these these golden age of musical feel, um, you know, melodies and sweeping um, progressions and, and these lyrics that are so reminiscent and they touch on our heartstrings, um, you know, any any human who's alive who has seen these sorts of things that we're that we're um parodying um but he's also he's brilliant because he sneaks in all of this contemporary messaging and it is quite human and quite touching and quite like um you know the story of schmigadoon is quite progressive um in its storytelling even though it like sneaks it in it's like sneaking in something nutritious into something that like tastes really good and <laughs> you don't really notice that that really what 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 Zinko's feeding you is um is quite good for for the soul um so yeah I was I was very impressed we didn't get the music I didn't get the music until much later into production um but it was it was such a joy and such a joy to perform live as well yeah I think it you know the the thing that's brilliant about the music is it sounds so familiar you know he really leaned into kind of paying tribute to these, obviously these other stories, but, but they're all also brand new and work totally as a, as a new thing for this story. So they just did a, a tremendous job in, in walking both of those lines that if you hear something, you're like, oh, that sounds like that, but it's actually brand new, which is uh, very difficult to do. All right. Well, that's cool. And that is on Apple plus right now. And Lynn, that was great that you got to talk to all those cool people. I know, huge fan of of everybody. Cinco Paul and Ken Dario wrote the Despicable Me movies, Trilogy. one, two, and three, mm-hmm. and The Secret Life of Pets. And they are both Mormons, yes. so they want everything to be uplifting. But I will say they have the sense of humor, not altogether as raunchy as the South Park guys, but there's a little no. subversive in terms of the lyrics here. And uh, one of the local Muni people, I mean, well, she's not local, but she's in a lot of Muni productions. Anne Herida, is that mm-hmm. how you say her name, Her Herida? She is the mayor's wife in this. And she gets a solo song. Cecily Strong and Michael, uh, and Keegan, Keegan Michael, Michael Key. Key. I never always, say it right. I, I know. They have a song too, but it's so funny because they, they mock musicals. Like he hates musicals mm-hmm. and she loves them. Well, and he's, he like, can sing and she, she didn't sing enough on Saturday night live, but she, she can sing. Yeah. And it's fun. It's just, it's just so fun. They have so many perfect things. happen. Jane Krakowski, who is a Tony winner. She shows up as the countess straight out of sound of music. The, the woman who loves captain Von Trapp and thinks she's going to marry him. Gotcha. Yes. Well, don't give it, don't give everything away. No, no, I'm not because you know, the, the episodes are embargoed. I watched all of them Mm -hmm. and I had a grin from ear to ear the whole time I watched them. They're so darn catchy. The score is by Christopher. Oh, now I'm going to screw Willis. I need to look this up. He writes the music just like those old fashioned overtures of the mm-hmm. old days. Now I will say the finale has song. 
I think has a little Sondheim in it, but that's the only kind of modern that you get through this whole thing. Yes. And Christopher the, the, Willis, he wrote the, you know, those new Mickey Mouse shorts that they did with the, uh, Ed, which, which are having modern look to them, but they also have an old school feel to it. He did the music for those. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, anybody who loves musical theater or grew up like that or just wants to be entertained because this is just the best tonic. It's like a fresh squeezed lemonade on a hot summer day. It just made my whole week watching watching all of them. And just the fact that I got to talk to the people was such a bonus. And they all were so appreciative and had such a blast doing this. And um, Keegan-Michael Key was on Colbert the other night talking about Mm -hmm. it. And so who knows? This is season one. So who knows if we'll we'll have. Yeah, but it's definitely worth time and energy. And I predict uh, not only a big crowd pleaser, but also some Emmy nominations next year. Now, okay, that that is on Apple Plus right now. Would you like to talk about the biggest movie of the weekend or your favorite movie of the weekend? What do you want to do? I, I I did not see your favorite movie of the weekend and our buddy Dan Buffa is in love with it as well. So let's just kick it off with pig. All right. This movie is so unexpected and whatever you think about Nicholas cage, just put it out your window. He's an Academy so- award winning actor. Right. And the last nomination he got was for adaptation, which I just adore that film. He was playing the Charlie Kaufman character. Right. And but then the last 20 years, he's been doing all these action movies and he's been very uh, boisterous and unhinged and kicking some, you know, kicking some butt and just kind of taking anything that, you know, I mean, he's become a joke sort of. Well, Mm -hmm. this is one of his best performances ever. I think even better than leaving Las Vegas. Well, that's still the gold stand. I mean, that's going to be his pinnacle, but this is good. This is really good. He plays a hermit in the Oregon wilderness who lives with his beloved pet pig. And he, the pig, and he uh, the pig forages for truffles. And if you saw the documentary, the truffle hunters, their About relationship the, that was in Italy. Right. This is not unlike that, where the truffle hunters have a special relationship with their animal. Mm-hmm. And also it's a very rare growing season and they're very prized in the culinary world, uh, you know, big dollars. And it's a incredible market. So this hotshot food purveyor, Amir, who is played by the up-and-coming Alex Wolf, mm-hmm. he comes weekly with this little cooler of provisions for Nicolas Cage's character, who's known as Rob. And Amir doesn't know anything about him except that he uh, has these beautiful truffles and gives them to Amir to sell to restaurants. And then uh, they have a weird relationship because he tries to engage him in conversation and Rob just is like, so he's very antisocial. Well, one day, and it's a horrific night, um, he is attacked by these tweakers. Well, you don't know they're tweakers at the time. And And you just find out that he's attacked by somebody. Right. And they steal the pig. 
and Nicolas Cage wakes up in a pool of blood and he uh, goes out of the house to find help. Uh, he needs a landline. Obviously, he doesn't have a phone. And so he calls Amir to pick him up. And Amir's like, I don't have time for this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just being really, just very jerky. Just, mm -hmm. just this kid that's a brat. And he's really a social climber. And it turns out that Nicolas Cage's character, Rob, knows where to go and who to go to to get information in this culinary world in Portland. As you know, Portland is a hipster city. Yes. So, of course, the food scene would be one of those very alive, thriving, big deal culinary thing. And, you know, that world sometimes is pretentious, but yes. also, you know, celebrity chefs and they they elevate the cuisine. And so this Rob knows his way around and Amir is like, hmm, what's the deal with this guy? Turns out he was this major influential and innovative chef in town. And 15 years earlier, he went off the grid. So just his name, Robin Feld, evokes this awe and this reverence and this alarm because nobody knows what happened to him. So he is running around Portland with this kid and he's got matted blood in his hair and he looks like a homeless dude. And but then the minute people figure out who he is, they're they're all just a flutter. Mm -hmm. So they're on this journey and Amir sticks with him because he's just fascinated that this guy was once this major deal. Yeah. And his dad is Adam Arkin, who okay. is the rare food king of Portland. Okay. And so then we have this whole backstory about Amir and his dad's relationship. And then you find out more about Robin's story. And he is, he has the wisdom of a philosopher and he has the heart of a poet, but he's damaged goods. And it's just sad, but Nicholas Cage is amazing in this movie. And I don't use that word hardly ever, but I just, was so impressed. And it's a first time feature. This guy who wrote it and directed it is Michael Sarnowski. Wrote it, directed it and, and came up with the story. Yeah, he is. Um, he previously worked as an editor mm -hmm. and he might've done some short films, but this I guarantee is going to be at the, the uh, independent spirit awards. If not Oscars. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you know, you never know about Oscars, the stuff you think like last year when we saw the assistant mm -hmm. and we saw, uh, the never sometimes, sometimes never always yet yeah, made. Yes. So yes. One, and we thought, and it did have good buzz and it got on a critics list, but I guarantee you pig is going to be on a lot of critics list. Andrew Wyatt of the lens mm -hmm. St. Louis website. He and I both gave it an a minus okay. and I think, Buffa probably gave it an A, but he doesn't really grade. But yeah, Danny, he, Danny loved it. He says it's his favorite movie of the year so far. Right. And I just I, I, I tell people, whatever you think, just let it. it you think it's going to be like uh, taken because you picture you picture Nicolas Cage being the action hero and you think he's going to find it. And he's going to beat everybody up and he's going to find his pig. That's what I thought.
Yeah. Well, nothing happened. Nothing oh. like that. Happens. <laughs> nothing like that happens. But I'm not right. going to. Spo- I'm not going to spoil. Well, no, it. don't. And I don't. I don't want you to. Yeah. But and I, also, I, it's I, only in. It's only an hour and a half film. I wow. wanted it to go on more. That's one of the reasons I had about. Was like I want more. But this guy, the way he directs, is he assumes that you're smart enough to figure things out, and he so doesn't he, overexplain. Yes. So he doesn't spoon feed you, which I appreciated, but I also was so fascinated by this story and these characters that I wanted it to go on more. And I don't usually say that. Well, that's, that is, it's called pig. It's out right now at Nicholas cage. But if you have HBO max, you can watch the big movie that is in theaters and on HBO max for the next month or so. Space Jam, A New Legacy. I had never seen the original Space Jam until yesterday. And I watched them both back to back. I have heard a lot of things. A lot of people have a fondness for Space Jam because they saw it as children. It's from 1996, Michael Jordan, Bugs Bunny. And it's mostly known for uh, introducing Lola Bunny into the Looney Tunes world. I thought she was a... uh, recent character no she was created for space jam i didn't know that until i saw that and a lot of people um love the soundtrack even though now it's problematic because it has r kelly on it but right isn't that the the movie that has the i believe i can fly yes it has i believe i can fly, and it also has the space jam by the quad city djs with which is just another version of come on ride the train but what i seeing it as an adult and understanding that it is a movie for children, Space Jam did not bother me because I've heard it was absolutely horrible. It's just a shill. But then you see the new one and you oh. realize that both of these movies are for young children. Now, they make some mistakes in the second one with using a couple stronger languages than I would use. But in the first one, Wayne Knight makes a very pointed joke talking about Nike and McDonald's and all of MJ's sponsorships. And he does it as a throwaway joke, winking to the audience. This one is very blatant about every single kind of sponsorship that LeBron James has and every single Warner brothers property. But if you go into it, knowing that it is a movie for children, you have to give it some leeway. I understand why people are hating this, but they're looking at it from the lens of an adult. You need to look at this just like Star Wars movies. They're written for children. So don't get so angry about Space Jam not living up to your expectations. Lynn, now you can crap on the movie all you want. Okay. Well, I think it's a colossal waste of time (laughs) because it is so blatant in its product placement. But this is the thing that really bothers me. Yes. It is aimed for children. Yes. For families to go to. Yes. Yet Warner Brothers has decided to include all its properties in the spectators and passing references. And do we really need Pennywise clapping on the sidelines? Do we need Danny DeVito's grotesque, the penguin from a Batman returns? Do we need the droogs from a clockwork orange and God help you as a parent, if your kids want to watch a clockwork <laughs> orange, now they have apparently, and I didn't know this, 
Warner Brothers bought the whole Hanna Barbera catalog. Yeah, the, the Flintstones and the Jetsons and Space Joe Ghost show up, but not yeah. really. That it's glorified cameos. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's like CGI things. We have the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. So yes. do they own MGM properties? I, I'm very confused about what they own, but they are blatant about Harry Potter, the Matrix, yeah, the DC universe. We have Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. And I thought some of those things were clever. I saw I and I. Watching them both back to back, I thought the jokes in Space Jam, A New Legacy, were better than the ones in the original Space Jam. There are a couple throwbacks. This is what they're calling a standalone sequel. You don't need to have seen the first one, but they do allude to the first one eh, three or four times. And they're clever about that, too. So I, I'm giving the movie much more credit than people are tearing it down for. Well, I did take my boys in 1996 to see it, and they. So loved you it. have a soft spot for a movie that's not that good. Well, it's not that good, but my boys loved it and had the VHS. And at that time, Michael Jordan was everything. Yeah. All our photos from those that period 25 years ago, they're all in Jordan T-shirts. Yeah. All the time. All the he, pictures. He was the king. And so Michael Jordan's legacy is cemented through the fondness of kids' eyes. And even though he's kind of surly in Space Jam, like he doesn't want to be there. LeBron James, who I admire very much for his Mm -hmm. talent and his the way he carries himself in public. I do think he has fun with this and it's fine. People are saying he's not that good. at. Well, he says that line athletes acting never ends well, but I think he has fun with it. And I liked him in train wreck. Oh my gosh. He's great. in train. He and he and John Cena are probably the better parts of train wreck. Yeah. And so I have no problem with LeBron. I just think the story is ridiculous and dumb. Beetle is what the deal with him and then Sarah Silverman and Stephen Yun in the beginning Stephen Yun looks like he's being held hostage to do this movie probably he looks like he's at gunpoint to play this smarmy executive yeah but he has like four lines it was probably a half a day of work for him Sarah Silverman probably did a full day of work there are cameos by it, it is very much just like the first one they have actors playing LeBron's family, just like they had actors playing Michael Jordan's family and what they do to tie into the first movie. I'm not going to give away one of the major reveals, but it's, I thought that that was clever and I'm not hating on this movie as much as everyone else. I'm not not saying it's the person. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a good kids movie. Well, I do like the, the DC stuff and Daffy Duck taking on Superman and, and those kind of things. I did enjoy that. I thought the Looney Tunes characters, um, but I don't want to see a rapping notorious PIG. Yeah, that was dumb. And, and I really um, had some issues with the, the ball players that were turned into the goon squad, the, the monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Really ooh, off. Well, no, the, the, the first one was monsters. This one was the goon squad. And but, what do you think yeah. of Zendaya? Cause they, they changed. They originally were going to have the original actress do the thing. And then they got Zendaya. And so they dumped her. Yeah. As well, Lola bunny. I like Zendaya Zendaya. So I'm mm-hmm. going to always, you know, think she's fine. Um, I think, 
the kid, Cedric Joe, is just fine at playing mm-hmm. LeBron's kid. And that storyline about kids not focusing, being too involved in video games, that thing, that's fine. The movie is a video game, right. basically. And Kath, that- Kath Susie was the original Lola Bunny, and then it was Kristen Wiig. I, of course, as I said before, I thought Kristen Wiig was the originator of Lola Bunny. I thought they created her for the TV show, but they didn't. Kath Seuss, and she was supposed to come back because she had just done stuff for them, but then they got Zendaya, and she, I think she does a fine job, but Lola is barely in the movie. Right. Well, I think that if you are a movie lover and you have children and you're paying attention to all the people in uh, uh, that are spectators, mm-hmm. that's going to be problematic if your kids are asking questions. Who's that? Pennywise. Well, you know what? Well, what, they they do a Casablanca reference, and no eight year old is going to get that. Oh no, Sam! You sent me the Sam playing the piano. Play now, it see, again. I think that play it again, Sam. I think that was funny. I thought that was that was clever. So who's who's playing the piano? Sam. It's Yosemite Sam. It's it, it was. It's not as bad as everyone is saying it, but it but is. I still think Pennywise, the clown from it, if you uh, don't know that. Hello. Hi, um, everybody. I just, hello. We have our hello. guests arriving. Hello. Oh. We, 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 uh, we, we had our just early- trashing Space Jam. <laughs> it is. It's so good. To, I have to introduce our guest. We started early because of our interviews with the cast of Schmigadoon. So, um, okay. yeah, so Steli Seitman, one of my favorite theater, um, uh, what do you call that? Empresario. Empresario. Empresarios in St. Louis is our guest today. And she's going to talk about the Max and Louie Productions return. So how are you, Steli? Lynn, I am so grateful and happy to be returning to the stage once again. We have missed producing desperately. And... I couldn't be more thrilled. And the play is perfect. Um, it is, it is for, for, for what we've all been dealing with, I think. Well, uh, Steli's company, Max and Louie, named after her dogs, right? Max and Louie. Yes, um, my two little Bichons. Uh, they started in 2010 and I wasn't aware of them till 2012 when I saw the Lions and Bobby Miller was supposed to be the lead and he was ill as he had all those physical issues for a couple of years before he sadly passed away and uh you had the Wayne Solomon who was in the hospital bed playing the part and having the script nearby and uh, you were so apologetic and I was like well these are you know you had heavy hitters Judy Mann won our uh, St. Louis Theater Circle Award that year. So yeah. you were on my radar then, the first year of the St. Louis Theater Circle. And ever since, Carl Stelly's production company has won multiple theater uh, circle awards. And in fact, the last ones we did in 2020, your production won most outstanding drama with Indecent. Yes, yes. I, we, and which was fabulous which was really fabulous and then her gray gardens of has it been five years it's been 
No, I think it has one. I think Grey Gardens was in 2016, if I'm not the, mistaken. Yeah, one of the best productions I've ever seen. And that cast was magical. Debbie Lennon was introduced on our radar, and she has since won multiple theater awards. She played Carl. She played the Florence Foster Jenkins character in the play Souvenir, yeah. which yes. they also won for. And so you guys have been on a roll. Well, that's very sweet of you to say so. And, you know, Debbie's really become a staple. We try, we do really two productions a year because I try to um, utilize our resources in the best way that I can. We're not one of those companies that does four or five. If I do two, I think in the year we did Great Gardens, Lynn, actually that was the production that year because it was big, it was quite costly. And I believe in why not doing something right as opposed to spreading myself too thin, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. That's when I met you. You know, I, it, this is ironic because the very first play we did in at Max and Louie was The Lady with All the Answers, which was, of course, a story about another advice columnist. <laughs> no, a syndicated, a syndicated newspaper columnist, and now ten years later, and you know another century, we're doing another play about an online advice columnist, and again, letter writers seeking advice, and how apt as we're coming back from this pandemic, you know? Yes, yes. and well, and uh, that was one of the things uh, Cheryl Strade's original book. She had issues with. It was all anonymous, but everyone, she wanted to publish the book about it. And so she had to go and ask her online followers if they had ever written a letter to her to give her permission to do that. Right. Yes, I know. And, I and mean, they all said yes, though. That was that the people that follow her really follow her. And she got permission for all of them or else your play would have never happened. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's the ultimate, right? I mean, this play is is, is about love. It's about Forgiveness, 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 and empathy. I mean, and I think that those letter writers in doing that are giving, are, are, are giving it back, right? Paying it back, as it were. It's interesting that you say that. I'm really glad you brought that up, Carl. Well, thank you. Carl is I, I've been a fan. I've been a fan of Cheryl's since the book Wild. And then that movie was fantastic as well. And then Tiny Beautiful Things, that was her third book. So- She's she's done very well for herself after walking across California. I know, I know. Was that amazing, Lynn? Did you read her memoir? Uh, I did not. But my bro my brother uh, read Wild and told me about it. So when the when the movie came out, I was familiar with yeah. it before I saw it. Now, Tiny Beautiful Things is the Max and Louis production that starts July 29th at the Grandel, and it's going to run through. August 8th, and you have assembled your dream team of designers and, and producers again. You have Dunsey Dye, who just does the best sets, and Patrick Huber, who does award-winning lighting, yes. and Eileen Engel's going to do the costumes, but then you have your cast, who is really first-rate. I agree, and this is just a very female-empowered team, too, and you know, it's interesting because when Carl was talking about uh, Cheryl's work, uh, you know, both 
Cheryl and Nia Badarlos who adapted Cheryl's book so beautifully, um, you know, have consistently demonstrated, I think their uh, compassionate commitment, you know, to personal truth, to the healing powers of empathy and to the necessity of, of human connection. And they're not, we have incredible female power in this show, Lynn and Carl. The director is Sydney Grossberg-Ranga, who actually started this company with me in 2010. Sydney is directing, and then we've got a female TD. We're very short on that in St. Louis. Um, Joe Novak, who's been instrumental in our production, brilliant, brilliant, teaching at Webster, but not Webster, rather Burroughs, is, is out of town now on, on a sabbatical. And we were, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Joe's not here. Well, we found an incredible girl, Isabel from Stevens, a new graduate from Stevens. She's 21, brilliant. Another AT, she's our TD. She's building this set along with the assistant TD, whose name is Patrice. Katie Orr is doing props. So along with the stalwarts, you know, Duncy and of course, Patrick Huber, who won for his incredible lighting in Indecent. Um, am I forgetting anybody else on the male side? I'm not sure. Duncy, Patrick, oh, Philip Evans, who won for his sound design in Indecent is on this too. But we've got this female empowered team. Amazing. Did I get off the subject? No, no it's it's fine. And Can also, get off this? Michelle, Michelle Hand, who's playing Sugar, the yeah. advice columnist, right. she is one of the top actresses in town. And she is also a Theater Circle Award winner and multi-nominee. And uh, she seems perfect for this part. I think, Carl, you'll agree that she's going to be the embodiment of Sugar. And then supporting Greg Johnston, yes. Wendy Greenwood, and uh, Abraham, Abraham Shaw. Shaw. Abraham, Abraham Shaw. Shaw. It's, a, it's, a, it's a dream ensemble, Lynn. And I have to tell you something. You know, on the first days of rehearsal, the cast and director gathered together and talked about the current of empathy that's running through this play. Now, here are the challenges with this piece and they rise to it magnificently. There's an enormous amount of trust that the actors have to have for one another in this piece. They can't hide from one another. This is a very sit and talk kind of play. So from a directing standpoint, you've got to really work hard to keep this thing active. Are you following me? Yeah. For, for an hour and 20 minutes, because this is based, Carl's we were talking about, you know, on the epistolary exchanges of these writers. And these are real writers. That, that's the beauty of it. These are real people that have written these letters, but that is a difficult chore to keep this active. And I have to tell you, Sydney and this cast are breathing life into this piece. That's it's beautiful. beautiful. Is, is the style like Love Letters, the play where couples had to read their letters to each other? Nobody is reading. They are totally off book as it were. They will refer to dev devices every once in a while. And 
when you see the play. And Carl, I'll hope you, I hope you'll come and, and be try. my guest. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Yes. But no, they're 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 off book. They're off book. They're they're speaking conversationally to sugar to one another and addressing the audience. You'll see, Lynn. Such a surprise. I'm excited. I'm coming uh, July 30th, the first Friday to see it and at the Grandel. And yeah. Carl, you you might have heard me talk about their play End of the Rainbow, which was yes. the story of Judy Garland. You and that's did. why I didn't like Renee Zellweger's. Right. Because the woman who played Judy Garland in the End of the Rainbow, which Max and Louis produced a couple yes. years ago, was the best. Angela Ingersoll. Yes, and I've seen I've seen Angela I've seen Angela in concert. She's fantastic. You know what, Lynn? I told you this, and Carl, if I couldn't get Angela for that show, I wasn't going to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had auditions in St. Louis because we've got, as you know, wonderful, brilliant talent here. But this is very this was very specific. We knew we had to get Angela. It wasn't going to happen. And for me, Lynn too. She was the embodiment of that role. And uh, I couldn't have been more pleased. Oh, really? it just got, yeah, you you just, I mean, you just nailed it. It just, home run. Now you pick, what I like about you and your, your producing partner, Dee Kaplan, you all pick works that are not familiar to St. Louisans, but yet uh, once we see it, we are. And we're big fans because hardly anybody does great gardens or souvenir or uh, this tiny, beautiful things. And uh, so you are always picking things for the audience that is going to be bold in a way that Steve Wolf did, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really try to tiny, beautiful things has a wonderful, it, it's, it's got a life that ever since it uh, premiered at the public in 2016, SRO, I might say, and also <laughs> it was extended. It's playing a lot um, regionally. And I know too, during the pandemic, when I think there were companies that might've been streaming productions of it. You know, when I, when I picked it, I, I felt that it was, the, as I say, you know, the perfect piece. Um, it's interesting because I wanna read you something that she said about, about the pandemic, this is coming from Cheryl Strayed. You know, her radical empathy has really come to the forefront. Uh, and she said, now more than ever, hard times come. They will keep coming, they will come again. The unexpected beauty of difficulty is that it gives us very often a deeper perspective on how important it is to honor friendships, honor love, honor connections, honor forgiveness. You have to forgive to move forward. Honor, honor that voice inside that says what I feel matters. We went through a collective uh, reckoning with the pandemic and a lot of people turned inward, you know? And I thought this was the perfect piece coming out of the pandemic. So I guess I kind of picked and choose pieces, getting back to that question, that are relating to where we are maybe uh, currently, socially, because even with Black Lives Matter, you know, there was a lot. <laughs> right, well, I think people have had a time, uh, we had 16 yeah. months to reflect and uh, decide, oh, you know, and, and uh, isolation, 
was different for everybody. And I think that uh, the best thing to take us out of that is being in a theater with other people and sharing a story and connecting with it. So I really look forward to it. And I'm going to be doing an article about Michelle in my coming on my website, poplifestl.com. And so the, the famous take 10. So we're going to talk to Michelle about that and that'll be fun. But uh, you also have another play coming up at uh, this year with Debbie Lennon reprising her role in songs for nobody. So tell us about that. Yeah, you know, that play was very, very successful at the Kranzberg. And actually, that was just before the pandemic hit. I think it was one of the last plays that was produced in St. Louis. I think yeah. so, too. It ended, I think, in, in February of 2020. Yeah, and uh, it was tremendously su successful. A lot of people couldn't get in. We did it at the Kranzberg. And yeah, and didn't you have like limited seating? It was only like 50 seats. And, 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 and so people, you, I think you sold out quite a few shows. We did. We did. We, we actually squeezed in a hundred. <laughs> don't tell the, <laughs> wow. don't tell the, don't tell the fire marshals. <laughs> is this being, is this being aired? <laughs> Not till tonight. So uh, okay. you can get your affairs in order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, um, so well, it, it was so popular that people wanted people wanted to do it. Debbie said, "Why don't you stream it? You know, maybe during the pandemic." And we thought, "No, better yet, Pam Hunt, who's a, who's an amazing director. Pam's done a lot with Muni and a lot regionally across the country. You know her resume, Lynn. She's amazing. She wanted to come back and do it. We thought, well, let's put this in the Grandel where we could get a bigger audience, and also, you know, we can distance successfully." And if there's any cause for concern with the pandemic, like what we're doing with this show, you know, we have separation of masks and unmasked section and one row between each row. So it's, it makes it easier to take precautions as opposed to putting it in a black box again. Right. Well, considering how Missouri's numbers are really high, I think that's smart because the Grandel, once they refurbish the Grandel, you've been there, Carl, since they have. And, Many uh, times. And it's very nice. And, and I like when you all do shows there, Steli. And I also like when Tennessee Williams's festival does sh shows there because I really think that that's a great space. Now, Debbie, um, for the Songs for Nobodies, she plays like the fly on the wall. Like she has encounters with all these famous singers, Carl, like Edith Piaf and uh, Judy Garland and Patsy Klein. Patsy Klein. And don't forget... Maria Callas at the end. Oh, that's right. And oh, and, and brilliant. And so, so uh, Debbie has to sing like all of these artists, and it's fabulous. And she does. And you know what's interesting, Carl? She's also the five nobodies who come in contact with these icons, and their lives are changed immeasurably from meeting the icons. So Debbie is literally playing ten roles, right, Lynn? Wow. Yeah, and it's a it's a tour de force, and she's, in my opinion, brilliant. She nails yes. it. So said. you have to, yeah, you have to have that on your radar. So if you want tickets to yes. Max and Louis season, go to maxandlouis.com and you'll get all the information. And you use Metro Ticks, don't you? We do, and you know there is a service charge, but it's worth it if. 
people do not want to pay the service charge, I want to get this in. They are also welcome to come to the box office that day or that evening and just pay the theater restoration charge, which is a dollar. Oh. It used to be that you could go to the Fox box office, but the Fox box office at this time it's is closed. not open. Correct. Right. So yeah. that's important to know. If you do not want to pay a service charge, know that you can always do that. I know it's just it everything. I mean, we're not going back to uh, the old ways again. It's the new normal and we just have to adapt. But I'm so happy that you are starting on a high note. And then your background is you were once an actress and also an arts educator. Is that yeah. correct? I was. Yes. And, you know, when we started this company, as I told you, Sydney Grossberg Wanga, another graduate from Webster. University, as am I, 1974. She, um, I lost track of what I was going to say. What were we talking about? About your, uh, your past, past career. Oh, past career. Isn't that funny how you shy away from talking about things like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say your careers come full circle because you once played an advice columnist when you were an actress. You played Ann Landers. That's exactly right. You know, I, did you know, how did you know that? I do my research. You know what? And Sydney directed me in that. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. It was really, it was really a workout. It was a one woman show, Lynn. And I, I guess we started this company and you might say maybe it was a vanity project. Is that what they say? When the producer and the actor are the same. And so, yeah. So then after that show, I did another show and I decided if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to produce this, if I'm going to do this and become a producer person, I can't act anymore. And that's what's happened. And, you know, I've given it over and I, I, got, I got to say, I am totally happy. I love it. I did a lot of acting prior, you know, and as a graduate of Webster, I did some, I did a little stint in New York. I did some off-Broadway stuff. I acted with Nathan Lane. Wait a minute, what about this? In, in Maine, in an upstate theater called, what the hell was the name of that theater? Oh my, the Hayden, Mac Hayden Theater. Nathan Lane was Mr. Babcock and I was Vera Charles. I was in my 20s. I was what, 20, 22, 23? I can see Nathan, you playing Vera. Nathan was, Nathan was, what, I don't know, maybe four or five years younger than me. And he was, he wasn't Nathan Lane then, but he, he was Nathan, he was Nathan something else, but he had to change it because of equity. Now uh-huh. he's Nathan Lane. But isn't that, I mean, so I did summer stock. I mean, I did, I was in LA for a bit too, did a lot of voiceovers, did some fives, you know television stuff and came back to St. Louis and now I'm a producer. <laughs> he, well, was, uh, he was Joseph Lane. He was born yeah. Joseph Lane. Yes. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's oh, what did you just Google that. I did. <laughs> he is we are, quick. We are on our he computers is, while we're doing this yeah, interview. <laughs> he, he, he's very quick with the internet, uh, Steli. Well, I have had such uh, many great conversations with you in theater lobbies. And uh, in fact, I recall after Greg Gardens, 
my friend Robert and I talked to you and D at least an hour standing up in the parking lot of the new of the Jewish community center. <laughs> I remember that when I remember that so well. Yeah. And you, yeah. you talk you tell people about the the backstory about the difficulties in arranging, you know, producing people don't really understand what producers do. And no. so she'll give you the whole rundown of the difficulties and trying to get people and just the whole rights, just the rights are not so easy to get. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something, you know, it's not, this isn't like New York when there's a million producers above the title and basically, you know, they're getting the, the money people, you know, and that may be where it ends. You know, here, you're kind of a one woman band and D. D. Kaplan, who is my partner in life, I'm happy to say, as well as my partner in this theater company, work, work pretty hard to get it together. You know, you just can't start a production. You got to work no. months ahead on it. It's right, work. Then. Getting, getting the rights, all of it. Hiring the team, you know, getting the funding, writing the grants. You know, it's, 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 it's all that stuff. So, you know. That's why I say I can't act anymore. You know, few of us are Barbara Streisand. I think she well, does it all. I also want to thank you and your family for the wonderful philanthropic work that you've done in the area because you probably don't get enough credit for that. Well, that's a very sweet thing to say. And I got to tell you something. I am very proud of my dad because that's that's dad, Carl, you know, and um, he wanted to give back to this community and wants to get rid of the scourge of cancer and they're making so much progress and they're in Seitman Cancer Center. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, personally, uh, Seitman Cancer Center saved my son's life. He's been in remission since May 23rd, 2013. Thank God. I know. And uh, because of those doctors at Seitman and their Cause he had a rare aggressive cancer and they used experimental treatment on him. And because of them, he ran the New York city marathon for the leukemia and lymphoma society five years late, you know? So, so I have a special place in my heart for those doctors and nurses. The nurses are so fabulous. Yep. And then also um, because I'm from Belleville, I pay attention to the East side. I cover the East side and there's a new Seitman center uh, in Shiloh, Illinois. Wait so, a minute. Tell yeah. About that one. Yeah. That's so cool. people, yeah, people don't have to come over to St. Louis. They can be treated in the, you know, cause O'Fallon now has St. Elizabeth's hospital Memorial right. hospital has one in Shiloh. And so there's a new Seitman center in Shiloh. How great. Oh, I know. So it's just, it's just made such a difference in people's lives especially if you can't get transportation, right? You, know, you don't have any, you know, and well, I know, I know that one of the concepts was trying to make it as easy as possible because families are so stressed with the fact that their loved one is dealing with this. You know, I think there's a hotel now across the street. I mean, they do everything. I think, you know, to make it easier, yeah. easier. Oh yeah, well we're we're so lucky here to have it right here, but people come from all over the country. Right. Yes, it's right. renowned. 
Yeah. And so it's really amazing, but no, it's just been great to see how your, your theater company has blossomed and thrived. And I always, you see what they're doing and you know that it's worth going to because you know, you're going to be highly entertained, but also you will be thinking at the same time. Now, Steli, we ask all of our guests, what has gotten you through? I know you've been producing a show in the last 15 months, but what has gotten you through either something you read, something you watched, or something you experienced in in the last 15 months that you would recommend to others? What has gotten me through? Carl, Carl I know it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's this book. <laughs> it is. It's, it's Cheryl Strayed's book, because I have to tell you something. Uh, when I saw this at Victory Gardens in Chicago, I saw it just before the pandemic. I saw it and I knew I wanted to produce this show, okay? Because for me, um, it demonstrated clearly the thing that makes theater theater. Its ability to generate empathy in audiences. And it's just a show that reminds you of the need we all have to connect with one another. When I saw that show, because I didn't know from Cheryl's Trey, I have a sister who has her her book by her bedside. You know, she's underlined, she's every every sections of the book. I didn't know who she was. And then after I saw this show, I picked up the book. That book right there. Advice on Love and Life from Dear Sugar. And that's what helped get me through the (laughs) pandemic. It sounds hokey, but it's true. Now, does it does it make you want and to go back and read Wild? And my relationship with D, I, I oh. would say. Well, I, I hope you, so. Haven't you both been together for like forty years? We have. You figure out the math. I think it was nineteen seventy-six. Jerry Berger, the gossip columnist, introduced us. One of the nicest things Jerry's ever done. <laughs> Some people can't say that Jerry's ever done anything nice for them. That's right, because <laughs> this this brought D into my life. Personally, and of course now, you know, we have this business together. So well, that's very cool. Jerry, what got you? What got you through the pandemic, Carl? Um, we still did this every week. And since I'm in the media, I was, I guess, essential. So I still came to the radio station every day. Amazing. Well, Stelly works for um, um, Intercom, which is now Odyssey, right? Odyssey. KMOX and KZK one. Um, then what got you through? I uh, think, well, besides my work, um, my family and friends, because I did not see my youngest son, Charlie, who lives in Brooklyn uh, for a year, six months and 11 days to last week. And so uh, without Zoom and FaceTime and my friends and I, we had a weekly uh, Zoom together. And yeah. I mean, I just think that... Uh, isolation is just so hard on people. And if you don't have that support system, you know, but, but, uh, yeah. entertain, you know, Carl and I see movies, we're in the St. Louis, a, a film critics association. And so we yeah. had to, but we were allowed to see streaming films. So, but then Netflix and, and all that, but Disney yeah. plus HBO max, all of Apple TV. Yeah. All of them. I yeah, have there's... really missed sitting in a theater though. Well, I have to, you know what? I haven't been to a movie theater since the pandemic. I have to tell you that. It, I have been, well, I've been streaming too. I haven't been to a movie theater. 
but I'm going to do what, that because I miss it. You know, what'd you watch? Anything you, that stuck out to you? Oh, well, the Kaminsky method I loved. Have you seen it? Now, are you happy with, are you happy with season three without Alan Arkin? Yeah. I mean, I love Kathleen Turner. And, and yeah, I mean, I thought, yeah, I thought season three worked, but I miss Alan Arkin desperately. Yeah, but I loved, I loved it. I mean, I, I yeah, Mayor of East, East Town, I loved. You know, what about you? Th- those were just two that are come, they were popping into my head. Oh, Mayor of East Town was so good. And Kate Winslet. Brilliant. Is, oh, just yeah. so. So good. The Emmy nominations came out this week and uh, it won a ton. It, it is. I, yeah, but I but the Mandalorian so. got more than anyone except the, the Crown and the Mandalorian got all the... Oh, the Crown. I forgot about the Crown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I will say my, my guilty pleasure was Bridgerton. <laughs> that I haven't seen. Oh my God, you have to. You have to. No, you don't. <laughs> No, you don't. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Ixnay. Ixnay on it's uh, a it's lot of just, a lot of weird turn of the se- our 18th century sex. It is Shonda Rhimes. Oh. Reggae Jean Page. Three words. Reggae. Really? Really? He it, he was on TV for one season of this and got to host Saturday Night Live and half the audience didn't know who he was. But wow. he was fabulous. What he was Shonda. very good. What a Shonda. In Yiddish, that's a, you know, a shame. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, a Shonda. How could it be? No, he's my, gonna, my grandmother would be very proud. He is going to be huge. He really is because he's he's um, one of the most magnetic performers I've ever seen. And just because we've all seen him naked, uh, <laughs> uh, not talking that way. Ooh. Shame. But you all really like us. Uh, since vapors. you're a fan of the, since you're a fan. You, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm getting a little hot. Yeah. Um, uh, Steli, since you're a fan of theater, you will like the oldest brother, Jonathan Bailey. He played when um, the Stephen Sondheim musical company yeah. was redone with the female cast, with the female Bobby. Right, right, right. He played the character, a new character called Jamie, which was the Amy character on Broadway who sings I'm Not Getting Married Today. That's the gay couple, right? Yes. The two men, yeah. Yes. So Jonathan Bailey won the Olivier Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Musical, and he's the oldest Bridgerton son. He is quite the ladies' man in Bridgerton. So, and next season, we'll concentrate on his story. Well, I just caught up on Breaking Bad, believe it or not. <laughs> I believe you it. believe that? And I loved it. Oh, my God. It's, it's like one of the best TV shows ever. And so that now second- are you going back and watching Better Call Saul, too? Yes, I know. I was going to say, how is Better Call Saul? I've heard, you know. Some people uh, like it better than Breaking Bad. I haven't had time to get, I watched the first two seasons, which I liked. I haven't had time to get into the last couple seasons, but I hear it's very close to, you know, because it is the prequel. So there's overlapping up. Right. And Mike is in it, but I do think the breaking bad uh, on the whole, all the seasons, the second to last episode, the Ozymandias or Ozymandias. Yeah. That one. 
one of the all-time top 10 TV shows of all time, episodes of all Wait time. Wait a minute. Refresh my memory on that, guys. That's that the second the to last special... episode of Breaking Bad. What was Bad. that? Well, yeah, that, but was well... when, that was when the son, the uh, the uh, son with cerebral palsy uh, turns on his father and Walt <gasps> takes the baby and then there's a storyline with Jesse and Hank. I don't want to give the spoilers away, even though it's been since what? 10 years now ago. I remember, now I remember that. That episode there's a, is there's also a There's also a sequel movie to tell you what happens when after Breaking Bad with Jesse, too. That's on Netflix. I just love Aaron Paul as Jesse. I, the, whole, the whole last He's couple so episodes, I was, I was just like, please, Jesse, don't die. Don't die. Oh, don't I love Aaron Paul. The whole time, I, yeah. I have to tell you, I saw Brian Cranston in Network in New York and on stage, I don't know how many years ago, what, a couple of years ago, I guess, before yeah. the pandemic. Brilliant, 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 brilliant actor. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. how, when, when people say to me, like, oh, I don't want to watch Breaking Bad because it's about drugs, I say I no. It is about a guy who keeps coming into the moral crossroads of life and he makes decisions and he mm -hmm. keeps going down this path and he keeps making other decisions. It's really, uh, you know, it's just so drugs are just a small part of it. Right. Yeah. Vince Gilligan is so unbelievably talented to come up with this whole thing. And then, uh, what's the guy, Giancarlo Esposito as Gus Fringe. Oh, Frank. Oh yeah, the whole flashback. You and know. Dean Norris is Hank, and oh my God! And then the, the the girls that are the wives, and and just but Jesse, but um Jesse always calling him Mister White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a great anyway. I just, that's I I just caught up with it. I mean, I I one of my favorites, all time favorites. Well, it's a good thing to binge on if you've never seen it, you know, because sometimes you just get it, you know, you don't, you don't see what everybody else is talking about. But at first, when you started watching it, it was like a cult thing. Yeah. It was like, oh, you yeah. like it because, you know, I don't know if AMC promoted it right, but that was also at the time of Mad Men. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, everybody, let's take a quick picture. Everyone get your. Oh, God. Wait a minute. Carl, I said to Marla, <laughs> I said, wait a minute, is this going to be like, is this going to be a total like visual? She said, no, there's no, one no. screenshot. One so, screenshot. And we're going to do it right now. Take it easy. Take it easy. So I, look, wait right a at, look right at the camera and just smile. At you? Yeah. Done. See, that was easy. Is that okay? That was, that was natural. Um, do you have any parting words about uh, Steve Wolf that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I listen. May his memory be a blessing. You know, as, as we say, I. What can you almost say that hasn't been said about Steve Wolf? Well, you know, he was he was one of the, the big guys in, in theater in St. Louis for so long. He knew his audiences, you know, that I think was very big. You know, coming out of all the discord they had had, I think, prior to him coming in, right? They went right. through well, a slew of different artistic directors who were trying to get their pulse on the St. Louis audiences, as it were, and some were missing. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be tacky about it, but some were missing the boat in terms of reading the audiences correctly, I think. 
and Steve, Steve knew how to do that. And uh, he was just an, he was an all around good guy. Is, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, well, we gave him at Arts for Life. That's the community theater organization nonprofit yeah. that I'm on the board of. And we decided that we would give him a Lifetime Achievement Award. And we didn't think he would show up. We thought, you know, but he did. And he inspired those kids in the audience. He didn't talk down to anybody. He he valued their dreams. Yeah, he was a mentor, a mentor, you know. Yeah. He did not say like, you know, don't go into this business or whatever. He just talked about the joys of theater, of sitting in an audience and connecting and how after you see something, you're all connected. You're never the same. And it was brilliant the way he inspired the kids. What I liked about him is he would pick works that he knew were going to be conversation starters. Right. And we might not all agree with, but also he had a sense of tradition too. And so he had that fine mix where he would, some of the works that, that I just thought so brilliant. I don't know if you saw his Take Me Out that was at the Grand Yes, Alley. I loved that Grand Elf season. And the unfortunate thing was, Carl, and I don't know if you went to any of the shows. I know, Lynn, you did. I loved that. That was off ramp. And unfortunately, I guess it wasn't drawing the crowds that they wanted. But some of the more interesting fare for me, that that McDonough play was there too. You know, sure. Pillman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. And then the other one about the Irish terrorist organization. Bloody, 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 bloody. It was terrific. I can't think of that. Um, was that the yellow something? Lieutenant of Inishmore, I think. Yeah. Lieutenant of Inishmore was there. But that was some of the more interesting fare. And you know what? It didn't go. It wasn't supported, you know? Mm. But I think you're right. I think it's fair to say that he did have a very mixed season. And if you didn't like necessarily one piece or it didn't resonate with you, you could always come back and see something that was more, you know, very comfortable in your wheelhouse, as it were. Yeah, well, some yeah, and 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 they were the first people to bring in some of the the shows from New York because he had such clout. Yeah. Like it's it's uh, what what's the the comedy that was the rage of Broadway that he brought in? It's only a it's not it's not it's only a play. It's the the farce with all the yeah yeah yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it's only a play, I think. No, no, that was Terrence McNally. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of Terrence McNally. I know yeah, it's the, the one, the about. play that goes wrong. That's yes. right. Yes. We got it when it was still on Broadway. Did you see that? Because I missed it. Was it hilarious? Oh, oh, hilarious. Oh, my God. And then the cast was out interacting with the audience, and it was just so funny. It really is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. But the timing was so crisp. And what's great is because Marjorie and, and Peter Spack, the local scenic designers who are brilliant, right. yes, they put on the bookshelves the 42 plays that he directed um, as a as a homage to him. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that isn't that cool? I know. Well, you know, you've been to the theater circle awards and he just would, you know, trudge up and keep winning and winning. And <laughs> trudge up that's those steps. I think, why can't he just stay on the stage? 
I know. Well, hey, the rep we're gonna have we're gonna have next year's theater circle awards March twenty eighth at the rep. And we hope so, to see you there. Yes, hope to yeah, hope to see you there as we know. Well, um the last one that you were we had it virtual, so you didn't get to do your speech. Did. But oh my god, that was so brilliant. And Carl, it was uh one of these plays that hardly anybody ever does and technically a challenge and that lighting. That's and why that, no one ever does it. <laughs> that, that it lighting that. and that sound. Carl do, you know, Carl, do you know the show? You know, the show? I, am un, I am unfamiliar. I am sorry. Yeah. It, but what's what Lynn's saying is so true. You know, it's was very, very much a, a technical challenge. And of course that was a joke, Joe, you know, Novak conceived well Duncy conceived the design of course and then Joe Novak executed it and we had it rained on stage at the very end Carl uh this beautiful love scene between two women and um it the play itself was very revolutionary for its, its time you know it dealt with lesbianism and right of course it was very but severe. back in Nazi in Nazi yes it, this, this play touched on so many different things. It was a joy to produce it. When I, it was another one that I saw in New York and I was determined to do it, you know. And um, Lynn knows it was difficult getting an audience for that. And sometimes I think, Lynn, you know, you, you always play Monday morning quarterback. You know, if it had been maybe at, in the new Jewish theater space, which of course, didn't give me the scope of the grand <laughs> no. So you're dealing with that. You know, there's always something that's a, that's a small uh, black box. And, but, you know, perhaps it would have done better in terms of audience when getting a lot of the Jewish community in the doors, you know, but saying that I, I, I have no regrets. It was a, it was a labor of love, as we say. Yes, it was. Really, I just, I, yeah. I, I just, I just want everybody to come out and see tiny, beautiful things. Carl loves it. I Lynn, is, Lynn, I think it's going to resonate with you. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece. And uh, mask, mask, unmask. You have your choice. You know, we're going to sanitize that theater. We're going to sanitize those seats. You're going to. No, uh, it's going to be totally safe. I promise well, you. You can go to, well, you can either go to MetroTix or you can go to maxandlouis.com. Yes. MetroTix 5, I'm trying to think, the number is uh, MetroTix 314-534-1111, 10 to 4, Monday through Sunday. And as Carl said, www.max, M-A-X, a-N-D-L-O-U-I-E dot com. And you will see our COVID safety protocols posted on the Max Louis site. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Steli, for your time today. We really appreciate it. I really enjoy talking to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on with us today. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Lynn. Bye. 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 That's good. And I'm going to have this up later tonight. All right, good. Um, I'll send it to Marla. Carl, a couple things that uh, we uh, didn't talk about was um, Gunpowder Milkshake. Gunpowder Milkshake. I saw that movie. 
And I didn't, everyone's hating on this movie too. I felt it was, maybe I was just in a mood when I saw these movies, but I didn't hate it. I, there was one problem I had with the film. I wish that Karen Gillan would have used her real voice because she's playing Lena Headley's daughter. Lena Headley's using her real voice and, and she's British. So why can't Karen Gillan use her real voice? Cause she's British, Scottish, Irish also. Right. Why did she have to have an American accent that she didn't need? I don't know. I wanted. Well, so that's much- not, that's not the problem that you have with the movie. You thought it was, I thought it was lovely pulp, uh, grindhouse type of girl power shoot them up bang bang i will say the grindhouse it is really uh bloody very stylish i think stylized mm-hmm. and the look is great but it's just that story is just so thin yeah. and it just becomes just non-stop bloodbath it is and you know what i was i was okay with it i liked it i i thought it was i thought it was lovely I well, and I, wanted, I like yeah I wanted more out of the four I like her I've followed her ever since she was Amy Pond on Doctor Who and uh yeah, she's and, she's uh, Scottish by the way yeah and Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy yes so uh yeah I think she obviously has potential I think this director has potential I think the music while a lot of it was over the top I like the Piece of My Heart by Janis Joplin. Yes, that song has new meaning once you listen to it in a fight scene. Yes, and uh, it is pretty, you know, it is what it is. It is on Netflix now. It dropped on Mm -hmm. July Wednesday, yeah. We were not privy to um, the other release this week well we were not now, pretty- now hold on a second there's there's some things you have to talk about gunpowder milkshake like it's full of really strong women lena headley i just talked about carla gugino michelle yo angela bassett uh the little girl chloe coleman she's really cute in this also oh and, yes Jesus, and then the boy and every single male male character is awful uh paul giamatti is the least awful of the men but i thought it was for what it is and they're going to make a sequel they've already greenlit a sequel on this so hopefully it gets better but i didn't hate it well yeah uh to each is <laughs> so i mean you know it just depends what you're like if you like those kind of genre films it'll be fine for you i mean it's not atomic blonde and you thought it was going to be like baby driver but it was not like baby driver it, and i don't think it was i think it was uh, it's not john wick either but it's and it's not even trying to be a girl's John Wick because there is there there John Wick is a very simple story. This one is this story is more complicated than it needs to be. Plus, it doesn't have a dog. But so. it has a child. It has a, right. it has an eight and three quarters year old child. Right. I did right. want more from the from the librarians, though. That would have been interesting. Now, um, on DVD already, or, well, actually digital. You yeah. First, you want to talk about we didn't get to see Escape Room. Because oh, we yeah, didn't we get didn't to see Escape, see Escape Room. Room. But I didn't see the first one, so I don't care. And we did not get, get early to see Roadrunner. To Roadrunner, which I went to the High Point Saturday to see the Anthony Bourdain documentary. Are you upset that they redubbed his voice? 
I think it's kind of weird, but I wanted to hear it myself. And I was very excited to be at the high point and see the owners who we know uh-huh. and uh, uh, purchase popcorn because they have the best popcorn, purchase popcorn and soda and sit in my seat and look forward to it. And the lights went down at 415 and no movie. And the lights went back up a little bit and everybody's like, uh oh. And then we waited and somebody said, oh, uh, sorry about that, folks. We'll have the movie very Everybody soon. out. No, they, they'll have the movie very soon. And then one of the owners came in and said, I'm really sorry. We're going to have to give you passes. We have lost the 415 show and maybe the 7 p.m. show. And we bought a new expensive server and it has crashed. It and didn't work. It's the movie. So I took my pass. And I will return, but I didn't get to see it before today's show. So we'll have to talk about that later. But I felt so bad for them because they are an indie theater. Theater, right. Apparently, they're not the only ones that that have had issues with the digital copy of Roadrunner. It has happened elsewhere. Well, uh, Quiet Place Part 2 is out on uh, DVD. Uh, Hydra is going to be out next week. And Zola, which I really liked, is going to be out on DVD next week. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah, and, already uh, out. Yeah, because people and, are uh, used to people are used to having them when they can get them now. Right. So, um, yeah, Zola's the big buzz movie now. Hydra, I do have the link to. I am going to see it because it, it starts on digital and a video on um, and DVD on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Schmigadoon, we talked about that. Oh, Bo Burnham's Inside, which we talked about last week, is going to open at Plaza Frontenac on Thursday. Yes, and they they were just going to have it at certain theaters, but they've sold so many tickets. It's going to be like in 400 theaters, and it's going to be possibly for more than one night. So, Wow. So definitely it will be in... um, Will it get to have Oscar consideration because of the theatrical... I I don't know. It's got to be a week in Los Angeles and or New York. So I don't know if it will qualify because I don't think that's that wasn't their intent. They wanted to do it on big screen one night. And then now they were due to high demand. They said that they're going to do it. All right, Lynn, where can we find you on the socials and the radio? Okay. well, I was going to say it did get Emmy nominated. Okay, I am. um poplifestl.com presents is the new name for this wonderful podcast that we do weekly and a poplifestl.com is my website i am also in the webster kirkwood times with film reviews i am on ktrs am the big 550 with ray hartman every thursday evening miller furniture presents lynn van house goes to the movies it is right after the 10 p.m news and uh that is right now what i'm doing i'm going to be reviewing the first muni show for wendy and jennifer, jennifer. Mm-hmm. The, on july 27th because you and i have opening night tickets. yeah we do um you can find me on let's see at underscore carl the intern on instagram and twitter you can hear me on the Maxim Movies podcast, and you can also hear me this week. I'm going to be on the Mark Cox show every morning this week and also on the Great Outdoor show on KMOX. So I'm all over the place. If you can't find me, you're not looking very hard. 
That is right. We are out and about and we will be uh, at screenings this week too, Carl. Yes, I'm going to see. I want to see old. I want to see old in a theater. Oh, I do on the big screen. Definitely. Yep. And Alex Wolf is in that. Yes. Who so, we just talked about. I know. Well, I wanted to give a shout out to the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, which is continuing through yes. July 25th. So go to their website and get Cinema St. Louis through Inventive. And uh, we had a local guy sing the national anthem at the all-star game. And maybe you think Southern Illinois is a stretch for being local, but I'm an Illinois person. So he's one of us. Christopher Jackson, AKA Benny in, in the Heights and President George Washington yeah. in Hamilton. He graduated from Cairo High School and he sang the national anthem at Tuesday's all-star game. He is a very good actor and singer. Yes. And he actually was born in Metropolis. I've been there too. And our buddy, our buddy Max and my friend Ray are going to be going to the Metropolis Festival next weekend. Well, that's very cool. Well, we'll have to have them talk about it. Uh, another thing is it is the 30th anniversary of Point Break, one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure movies. Really? It, I saw that in a theater and it is my one of my friends. I'm just going to give his first name because I know like 50 Mikes, but his name is Mike and that is his, that is his favorite movie. And I give him trouble about that all the time because Point Break should not be anybody's favorite movie. Well, if if it is if I am surfing channels and it is on, I will stop and watch it because they jump out of a plane without a parachute, Lynn. I know it is Catherine Bigelow, but it is Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. Well, at least at least it's better than the remake of Point Break. Oh, my God. Yes. And Gary Busey is fantastic in this. And so is Lori Petty. And it is one of those off the wall crazy movies that it just it just makes you feel good when you're watching it because it's so goofy it's so dumb (laughs) all right we'll talk next week len yes have a good week stay cool stay safe and uh i guess we should uh really encourage people to get back so you can go out and about and be around us at our movies (laughs) thank you bye carol bye